Hey kids, you are dismissed. We have our middle school, high school class today as well. Hey, one of the things I don't want to uh, miss announcing is, is uh, part of all that cooking that went on to prepare for Wednesday night is also to prepare for our Millville feeding project, which happens uh, the last Saturday, or the last Sunday of the month. It's next month, next week. And if you're interested in helping with the Millville feeding project, you can talk with Libby Brady. There's a sign-up sheet all out there. Also, they need baked goods. So if you can bring a baked good, you can bring it right to church. Uh, you can talk with Libby, sign up for that. Uh, lots of opportunities to get involved in various ways. We want to help you to exercise your gifts. So let me pray for us, and we will begin. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. And Lord, I just pray that in this moment, Lord, that you would still our hearts. Lord, that you would focus us on the things you want us to focus on. Lord, as we open your word, Lord, may it burn in our hearts, Lord. I think about the men on the road to Emmaus and after you revealed yourself to them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Lord, I pray that our heart would burn to know you. I pray that our heart would yearn to be near you. And Lord, I pray that our heart would be yielded so that you can use it. And so, Lord, as we look at your word and we study more about Nehemiah, and the trials that he went on, went through, Lord, some on the outside, some on the inside. But Lord, may it sharpen us, Lord, and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, so we've been digging through the, the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, we talked about how we can... Uh, we talked about that God needs to break our hearts for what he sees, he feels, and what he thinks. In other words, God needs to show us what's going on in his mind, in his heart, in order for us to respond. God broke Nehemiah's heart for a land that was 800 miles away, that he had never stepped foot in. And week two, we talked about doing it scared, that Nehemiah was waiting for an opening, but as he was waiting, he was preparing. And see, this is the interesting thing. A lot of people pray for God to move, but they never act as if God will move. They never sit there and say, hey, God, please do this, please do this. And I almost feel like God says, okay, Eric, if I do this, what, are you ready? Are you ready to do this? Are you prepared? Week three, we talked about dipping our toes in. Nehemiah journeys to Judea, and he lays it out to these people and says, listen, I want you to know that God's already moving, and he's doing some things. And in God, being faithful to Nehemiah has already been moving in these people, and they respond. See, the other thing we have to remember is that when God is doing something in us, he's also doing things in other people. Week four, we talked about the idea that we've got bandits, the idea that there's always going to be attacks, there's always going to be hardships. Nothing great happens easy. I remember watching a documentary on a commercial they made about Michael Phelps. It was just a commercial. 
And in the commercial, it showed all the things that he goes through in training, and it was a commercial for Under Armour. And at the end of the commercial, they, they, they show the commercial, and Michael Phelps and his wife is sitting there, and his wife breaks down crying. And the guy says, why are you crying? And she says, because no one until now will know what it takes for him to win a gold medal. And so much of life is we want to get to that gold medal moment, but the things that happen behind the scenes. We ended chapter four, and it seems like, man, we are revving on all cylinders. The wall is being built. We've been using this map as kind of a, a marching order, this map here of the walls going up around Jerusalem. And you can see all these different gates are being built and everything's being done and everything's moving on and they've repelled the bandits. The guys who are coming from the outside and evading and attacking and all this and Nehemiah and the men have stood tall. Everyone's doing their part. The men, the women, the children, everyone is a part of it. The rich, the poor, the nobles, the priests, everyone is a part of it. And Nehemiah's got to be thinking, hey, all right, we're doing well. Well, this morning we're going to talk, and our sermon title is called, It Is Well. Now, it is well, I think, is a choice that we have to make as Christians despite circumstances. Let me say that again. It is well is a choice you make despite circumstances. Because let's face it, life's tough. Life's hard. Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1. Nehemiah 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Our three for the road, number 1. If we can't get along with each other, how can we impact the outside world or get anything done? If we can't get along with each other, how can we impact the outside world or get anything done? Remember I told you that Satan is the God, lower G, of chaos. That's what he wants to create. Chaos, confusion, suspicion, controversy, all these kind of things. This is what he wants to stir up. Remember it said earlier when they, when they tried to invade Nehemiah and his men, their goal was to create confusion. That's what they're trying to do. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people, their wives, against the Jewish brethren. So right away we hear there's trouble. There's trouble. But here's the difference. The trouble isn't bandits on the outside. It's bandits on the inside, right? He says, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we are our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There are, those, there are also some who have said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses and we might, that we might buy grain because of the famine. There are also those who have said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our lands and vineyards. So, there's financial distress going on. People are struggling to be fed. And listen, in the midst of this wall building, what do we find out as a natural catastrophe that's going on? A famine. 
right? Isn't it just when, it's, it's like that one morning when you're really in a hurry, that's when it decides to sleep and the roads are slow. Or that one day when you really got to get everything right that your car won't start. I remember one day coming home and there was all these things I had to do and I walked in the house with Pam and Pam said, why does it feel like, it feels pretty cold in the house. And I went, oh, you just came in from outside. I go over, the furnace isn't working, right? How many of you have ever had your furnace break at a convenient time? It never does that, right? It's always inconvenient. It's always a problem. So these people are borrowing money. And where they're borrowing money from is from other Jews, other brethren. Now, here's where the problems come. Verse 5, yet now our flesh is the flesh of our brethren and our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And listen to what Nehemiah says. And I became very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. So let's catch up on what's going on. What is going on is these people need money. These people need to pay taxes. And they're very, very busy building the wall. But here's what the problem is. They go to their fellow Jews and say, hey, listen, can you help me out? And they say, well, sure, 12% interest. Well, well I, can't, I can't afford that. That's all right. Your son looks strong. He can come work for me. Well, I know, but I, I kind of need my son to help me out. Well, what are you going to do? Okay, so then you send your son to go work for somebody. And then you're still struggling. And then they go, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, give me your land. And I'll farm the land. And whatever I get from the land, I'll keep for myself. But remember, you still owe me on the loan. You see what's going on here? And what makes Nehemiah very angry is you're going to see is several things. Let's make this hit home. If we can't get along with each other, how can we impact the outside world or get anything done? I want to ask you something. What makes you angry? What are things that really make you angry? Now, here's the test. Somebody one time said that, he said, Eric, what are the things that make you angry? And I was stupid enough to list off things that made me angry to this person. And he said, okay, Eric, what I want to ask you is this. Are the things that make you angry holy discontents that God's laid on your heart, or are you just grumpy? Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, or in other words, for the wrong stuff, that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, Nehemiah is angry here, and I'm going to tell you that Nehemiah is angry for three reasons. And they're all holy discontents. They're not because Nehemiah is being grumpy. Nehemiah is angry because, number one, the wealthy Jews are not in the trenches building this wall. Have you ever had Captain Obvious who comes waltzing around while you're in the middle of something that is absolutely up to your eyeballs in it? And they go, hey, it would be a lot easier if you did this. 
I used to joke around with a friend of mine. I used to work with this one woman, and, and she reminded me of Owl from Winnie the Pooh. Does anyone remember Owl? Owl would come along and say these very educated things. So, like, Piglet would be, like, holding onto a kite and trying to hold onto the ground, and he's getting pulled up in the air, and the owl would go, well, if you wait a little more, perhaps you wouldn't fly into the air. Thank you! That's what I needed. Or when Owl would come and Pooh Bear stuck in a hole in, the, in there, he would go, it appears that you have a bear stuck in your hole, and Rabbit goes, thank you! I do! These wealthy Jews are not in the trenches. They're not building the wall. They don't know what it's like. They don't have cuts on their hands. They're not callous. They're not sunburnt. They're going, wow, clothes could use a good scrubbing, don't you think? You're looking a little gaunt. Eat something. And they're going, do you know what we've been up to? Number two, there's no mention of the work being done on the wall. You'll notice in Nehemiah chapter 5, you never hear anything about construction on the wall. Remember I talked to you a couple weeks ago about don't letting things, don't let things blur your vision for what God gave you. And what's blurring it now? Nehemiah's going, oh my gosh, this is why we're going to stop construction. Because you guys are doing this to one another. The third reason is... They're not even following the laws of the God they worship. Exodus 22:25 says, If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now listen, if you're a lender, you're free to say, Hey, I don't want to lend money. You're free to do that. But if you do, don't charge interest. Now, I know that this can get into some real dicey things, but I'm going to tell you this. Whether you, I have lent money and I have lended, I've been lender and I've been the lendee before in situations. You got to make sure that you're dealing with people who their yes is yes and their no is no. And if it's not, don't get into the situation. But I think that Christians sometimes, like I have to, I've honestly cut down, I used to listen to a wide realm of different pastors, some local, some national. A lot of them I've stopped listening to. And the reason I've stopped listening to them is I'm sick and tired of them shooting arrows at other churches and other pastors. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's going on. And yet I'll hear these pastors say, well, you know, this Baptist church over here, or this church is doing this, or you these, and it's like, Listen, dude, you got enough problems in your own congregation. You better just deal with that. Whatever's going on at this church down the road, I don't know. I'm going to keep myself going with what God's told me to do. So you go, all right, but Eric, all right, you talk about lending money and you talk about anger, and how do we manage these things? Well, first off, I want to tell you this about anger. Anger is a healthy emotion. It really is. God gave it to us. Jesus got angry. But the key is to bring it to God. Process it with a trusted mentor and prayerfully engage. That's how you deal with anger. Number one, bring it to God. God, I am upset. I am angry. Then have a trusted mentor. Now this is a mistake a lot of people meet is they go to a peer. And a peer isn't always necessarily a mentor. How many of you have been upset about something, talked with someone else, and followed really bad advice. A mentor is somebody who's further down the road. 
I've talked often, this last week, I had over an hour conversation with Pastor Steve Smickley. He's a mentor to me. I throw all sorts of stuff at him. And some stuff will go, Eric, I think you're thinking right on with that. And then other times he'll go, Eric, that's ridiculous. It's, you're being stupid. Don't be stupid. I really like you, but that's stupid. All right. You've got to have mentors in your life. What does Jesus say in Matthew 15? Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the, of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, what? Both will fall into a ditch. And as we process anger, as we process money in these things, it is important that we are going before the Lord and we are going before sound mentors with this stuff. Money decisions can cause all sorts of problems. Money, like everything else, belongs to God. And we should prayerfully consider how we spend and how we invest it. What we are doing. Bring it before God. And one of the things that I think Nehemiah has really ticked out is he's going, you guys are not processing this godly. So I'll give you a, 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 a thunderbolt in our society right now. How many people, when they hear debt forgiveness, it gets them kind of irked, right? Totally understand that. Let me tell you another side of it. Here's another side of it. I did youth ministry for years and years and years, and I have many, of these, many of my former youth ministry kids have gone through college, and I had one of them tell me, Eric, I have no problem paying back my college debt. He said, it's a lot, and I'm paying at it. He said, I just wish I wasn't being charged 14% interest. We are crippling our youth in this country by usury, and we're going to talk about that in the next couple of verses exorbitant interest fees. And so I have kids that'll say, Eric, listen, I busted my butt. And I, you know, it's funny, somebody said to me, well, I don't think everybody needs to go to college. You're absolutely right. Everybody doesn't need to go to college. But I'm gonna tell you something, that if you get in a car accident and you go to the hospital and you have somebody walk in and says, listen, I never went to college, but I got a bag of Band-Aids over here and it'll be all right. No, we need people who are educated. We need people who understand science. We need under people who understand medical things, engineering, all these different things. Notice that when these huge earthquakes happen overseas and all these buildings fall over, but when earthquakes happen here, they don't fall over. Thank an engineer. Thank an engineer. But here's the point. As this kid said, Eric, I've been making payments online uh, on time for years and years and years. He goes, something, he goes, you wouldn't believe how much interest I pay. And I think we're crippling our next generation of people. I'm not saying they shouldn't pay interest, but can you imagine how different, and I talked to a lot of these kids and they said, Eric, if my interest rate went from 14 to say 5%, he said it would change my, me and my wife's entire world. And what I'm telling a lot of people in these big, huge conglomerates that are making a boatload of money off of our young people, I want to say, hey, listen, instead of making this much money, if you could make this much money off them, do you know how different our whole world would be? But let's keep going. Three for the road number two. We answer to God. We all answer to God. We know that, and it should shape the way we live, and we act. So we catch up with Nehemiah, and it says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry of these words. After serious thought, here's the secret of Nehemiah's success. After serious thought, prayer, fasting. 
When you are doing God's work, it is important that every now and then you turn everything off and go, God, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you very, very clearly. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting, is exacting usury from his brother. Usury is either charging interest when you shouldn't charge interest or excessive interest. They were charging up to 12% interest. And understand, they're charging interest against their own brethren who are trying to rebuild Jerusalem. You know how messed up this is. So, he says, you are exacting usury. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Now let me explain what he says there. Guys, when the Babylonians invaded, originally, they captured many of the Jews and took them as, as servants and slaves. Many of the Jews escaped, and they're the ones living kind of in the wilderness around this area. Many of the Jews were taken and auctioned off to various empires. It's awful horrible. And they were redeemed by many of the Jews who went and bought them back out of slavery. Robert, how much would you pay for your daughter to buy her back out of slavery? You change your life, right? If they said, we'll give her back her freedom, but you have to go in, would you do it? Absolutely. We would do anything. RJ, how much would you give for rent? Everything. And that's what these people had to do. They had to give everything to buy their brethren back. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah goes, okay, so let me get this right. You just bought his daughter as a servant, and now his daughter can't be with, his fa with her family because you own her now. And you're telling me everyone in the room's cool with that. Despite everything we've been through with the Babylonians, everything we're going through with the Persians, everything we're going on with people raiding us, now you're going to tell that we're going to buy and sell one another. And we're going to take people's land. We're going to take everything from them and leave them in a legacy of slavery. And you guys feel good about this. And they were silenced and found nothing to say. I'm going to tell you that when you're doing God's work, God will give you the words to say. How many people remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus is speaking at the temple and they bring in a woman caught in adultery? And what does it say? It says that by the law of Moses, she was commanded to be killed. She should be stoned. Now, the law actually said that the woman and the man should be stoned. But what does Jesus do? He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down, wrote on the ground. 
Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the, even the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Was the woman innocent? No. All Jesus said is, you know what, you're absolutely right. She has a debt of sin. All I'm telling you is, whoever is worthy of throwing the stone should throw it. Will the worthy one please stand up? And notice that the one who is worthy is down on his knees on the ground, doodling in the dirt. And why did they go away silently? Because God used Jesus' words and convicted these men and women, and they went, okay, I'm dropping the stone. And the older ones go first because they've got a little wisdom. The younger ones are going like, and their dads are going, come on, let's go. Mark 13, 11. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand or premeditate what you should speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak it. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say when you go through these hard things. Nehemiah stands up before these guys and he says something and no one argues. In a world that is built on arguments, no one argues. Why? Because Nehemiah was saying words and God was empowering those words and the people were convicted and they were shamed. And sometimes shame is a good thing. Nehemiah called a great assembly. And he starts pointing them out. Hey, you bought this person. You're buying slaves. Remember what happened when the Egyptians enslaved all of us? Who rescued us? The Lord. And now we're doing the exact same thing that God rescued us from. I'm telling these guys started, they probably started crawling under chairs. Let's keep going here. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? He says, listen, guys, do you understand that all of this is happening? This rebuilding thing is happening because of the Lord, and you are violating not only Exodus 22:25, but you're making a mockery of what God's doing here. God will not be mocked. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. And once again, what does Nehemiah say? I'm in it too, guys. I'm giving money. It hurts. I could be living back in the palace in the Persian Empire and taking care of me. But God wants me to do something bigger, and I'm in it. I got skin in the game. And there's probably people in the room going, yeah, actually, Nehemiah gave me money to help me pay my taxes. Nehemiah gave me grain. Nehemiah's helping me. And maybe he's going to get that money back someday. Maybe he won't. I don't know. It's okay to lend somebody and say, listen, when you get a chance, you get back on your feet. Pay me back. Great. If not, under the Lord. Verse 11, restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundredth of the money. In other words, stop, give back the interest. 
and the grain, the new wine and oil that you have charged them. He goes, I'm telling you right now, everybody make right with whoever you are wrong in the room. Being right with God outweighs any financial decision. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. It's actually Paul quoting from the book of Isaiah. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God so that each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Nehemiah says, listen, you better get right. I'm calling you to get right. Don't make him call you to get right. Because when God wants to get your attention, yeah, sometimes it's not real pleasant. Verse 12, so they said, we will restore it and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then, he, then, I, called the pri then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Because guess what? You can have a conviction in your heart, and how many of you walk out the door and maybe that conviction starts to sway a little bit? Well, I don't know about that. I'm not going to just give them the money. And we can start doing it. So Nehemiah says, okay, we're going to make a little covenant here. Between you, the other person, and the Lord. And everyone's going to make right. God's in the business of making things right. Luke 9, verse 8. Remember the story of Zacchaeus. Wee little man climbed up a tree. Jesus calls him down and everyone goes, oh my gosh, this guy's such a sinner. But what does Zacchaeus say? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. He says, listen, I am a tax collector, and people need to pay their taxes, and people need to collect taxes, and there's fees required, but if I have done anything unjustly, I will give back fourfold, because I am wrong. Let's finish this up. Verse 13, and this, this could, should make you a little bit nervous. <laughs> then I shook out the fold on my garment. So may God shake out each man from his, from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Now listen, if you think Nehemiah, if these people are really believing that Nehemiah was sent by God, which I think they believe it, Nehemiah goes, hey, and by the way, thanks for doing the oath and everything. I just want you to know this. I'm asking God to literally shake you out if you don't follow through with your word. So just remember I prayed that. I think these guys are going, okay. Now I'm a little bit nervous. So may God shake out each man from his, from his house, from his property, who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. <laughs> and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Because Nehemiah says, listen, if you don't do it, I'm going to find out about it. And I've asked him to hold you personally accountable to it. We answer to God. Let's make this hit home. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive 
the things that they had done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good and bad. Now, one compliment I'll give these Jewish noblemen is that their heart was still able to be convicted, and that's good. You have to have a heart that's willing to be convicted. If you don't have a, if you don't have a heart that's willing, you got problems. It doesn't matter what intellectual argument someone gives you. It's all about the heart. The ability for Christians to respond to godly rebuke is essential. Many Christians get thrown off the rails. I remember a kid in my youth group years ago, his family would come to church and then they would disappear for long amounts of time and the kid would still come to youth group. I remember I pulled him aside one time and I said, what, why, like, I see you all the time at youth group and sometimes I see your parents and then I don't see them for months. And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, uh, Pastor, my dad's kind of interesting. He said, if the pastor preaching the sermon says something he doesn't disagree, he, or he doesn't agree with, he goes, he'll stop going for a couple of months. Now, here's the thing. If you're at a church and they're doing something that's not scriptural, then I don't think you should be there. But if you're at a church and somebody says something that is scriptural that you disagree with, I don't think you should run. All scripture is useful in teaching, correcting, training, and all righteousness, rebuking, and all righteousness. When disagreements happen, when hard decisions come, you really see what people are all, what they're made of. And Nehemiah has seen what these people are made of. And he's saying, hey guys, listen, What's inside of you? Is this the best? Is this how we're going to treat each other? Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, right? When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I also am known. I want you to know something. You know, when you hear that scripture, you hear these different scriptures, you go, hey, we got to give account for our lives. Does that mean that my salvation is in jeopardy? No, it doesn't mean your salvation is in jeopardy. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? We are redeemed. However... I do believe that when we come before God, a conversation might happen that goes something like this. Eric, you're going to be here with me forever. I sent my son to die for you. Eric, I had this dream for your life, but you lived this. So Eric, why is it that you loved me and you accepted my peace offering of my son why was your heart so stubborn to not follow me fully? Or Eric, why is it that you yielded your life in this area, this area, this area, but not over here? When I was young, I can remember uh, I had a very, very bad temper, especially when I was playing sports. I can remember in games where I would be yelling at my teammates, yelling at the other team, yelling at parents, yelling at the I was a jerk, really was. And I remember one time a friend of mine who was a Christian told me one time, he said, Eric, he goes, 
Do you know what kind of example that looks like to people when they associate you with Christianity? And I was like, uh, and he, he goes, all right, blow that off. He goes, the end result is, Eric, you got to come before God, and what if he shows that tape and you got to explain it? Wakes you up a little bit. So let's finish this out. Three for the road, number three. Communion with God, community with one another. Communion with God, community with one another. Listen to what Nehemiah says here. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judea, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate at the governor's provisions. Now let me explain what he means here. He didn't take any taxes from the people. He didn't demand anything from the people. Why? Because he knew that even after this wall was built, it was going to take a long time for people to recover. And Nehemiah said, listen, I'm not setting up a kingdom here. Do you know how easily Jerusalem could have been renamed the city of Nehemiah? Do you know how rich Nehemiah could have got? in this whole transaction. Well, I'm just doing the Lord's work. I know you guys see those like pastors on TV who like fly private jets and all these different things. And well, I'm just doing the Lord's work. No, you're just building your own kingdom. You're not doing the Lord's work. Nehemiah could have done that. He didn't. Verse 15, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yet even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we're not allowed to make a living. We're allowed to make a living. But Nehemiah had a great living. He was the cupbearer for the king. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of comfort and everything else like this. This was completely the Lord's. And Nehemiah said, I'm not touching anything. I'm not touching anything here. It's the Lord's. And the Lord clearly laid that on me. Nehemiah, don't take this. This is for my people. Verse 16, indeed, I also continued the work on the wall and we did not buy any land. In other words, what was going on with these other guys? Nehemiah didn't do it. He resisted that urge. All of my servants were gathered there for work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now I want you to understand what's going on here. The reason why this is such a miracle about God moving is King Artesi, the Persian Empire, said, hey, Nehemiah, not only will we give you all the lumber and everything you need to physically construct this, but Nehemiah, we will make sure that you've got a food plan while you're there. So the king will supply food. Now, if you're a savvy business guy, what do you do? Well, I get this food for free. Len, I really like you, so I'm gonna cut you a deal. Normally, a Happy Meal nowadays costs $45, you, $15, Lisa, 30 
right? Like you start doing this and you start going, hey, we can make a little bit of money here. I mean, Nehemiah, come on, the king won't know. We have just a little kickback. Plus you're really kind of helping the people. You're giving them a right, great deal. How many people, we can kind of justify that stuff in our head. Just little compromises. God calls us to do this and we go, hey God, I got an idea. I'll do what you want me to do, but I can, if I do it this way, a little something, something, help me out here, right? He doesn't do that. And at the table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us and the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me. And once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on his people. Nehemiah realizes and reads the situation. How many kings do you read about? David, Solomon, that who required offerings when people would just come to see him. And Nehemiah doesn't do this. He doesn't act like a governor. He doesn't act like a king. He doesn't even act like a good businessman. He acts like God's man. Verse 19, remember me, my Lord, for good, according to all that I have done for, the, for this people. The book of Nehemiah, they said, is written more like a diary. I don't know that Nehemiah, if he was here today, would go, what, you guys are reading this stuff? It was just kind of something I wrote. I didn't expect everybody to know this. But what does he say? Remember me, my Lord, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I believe that Nehemiah was proud. I think he was proud. I think he was proud that he did what God told him to do. You know, one of the things, uh, one, one of the heroes that I read often in the Bible is about Joseph in the book of Genesis. And you know, you know the story, Joseph was sold into slavery and all these different things. And, I, and what does he end up? He ends up being second in command in Egypt. And he tells Pharaoh, hey, there's going to be this famine. It's going to be seven years long. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so what does Pharaoh tell him to do? Hey, you gather up everything you can so we can get through the famine. And as much as I love the story of Joseph, I'm going to tell you there's something in it that really bothers me. And I want to read it here. Genesis 47, 15 through 20. They're in the middle of this famine. It says, so when the money had failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Cana, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and flocks and cattle and herds and the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of our Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants to, of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of, the, of Egypt for Pharaoh, and every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe among, upon them. 
so the land became Pharaoh's. See the difference between the two stories? Nehemiah could have easily been a Pharaoh. He could have taken all the silver. And in the middle of Jerusalem, he could have had this beautiful statue to himself. Look at Nehemiah. He built the wall. Oh, wow, what does Nehemiah own? He owns everything. Well, who do you work for, Nehemiah? Who do your kids work for, Nehemiah? Well, whose crops at Nehemiah? Well, what about, it's all Nehemiah's. No, Nehemiah didn't want to do that. When people mention hero, the heroes of the faith, they don't always mention Nehemiah. I'm going to tell you, he's a hero. Because if you are in the middle of really a tough, life-altering situation, wouldn't you want a Nehemiah to come walking in? Let's make this hit home. Communion with God, communion with one another. Guys, never miss the fact that you are incredibly blessed. We get to live right with God through the confessing of our sins, asking and receiving forgiveness. Do you guys realize that you have a God that through Jesus Christ is willing to hear your sins and forgive you? Think about that. Think of your sin being forgiven just by you asking. God gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us in our lives. How many of you can think of times in your life where the Holy Spirit powerfully guided you through a stormy season? We all can think of that. The Holy Spirit guides our lives. It helps us to understand. It gives us courage. It navigates us through the, the, the hard waters. This morning we're going to take communion. I want to challenge you this morning. Take communion with a clear heart, with a thankful heart, and with a loving heart. See, one of the things I love about Nehemiah is a lot of times people change as things happen. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, but still, what are you? Well, you're a slave. But when he strutted back in the Judean, as this wall started getting built, boy, a man's pride can really take hold. And Nehemiah never did. He was the same guy he was when he was serving the king, shaking in his boots, asking for some timber. And he's the same guy when he has to rebuke the Jews. And at the end of it, he sits down and he says, Lord, I hope I've pleased you today. In a world where we do a lot of people pleasing, how many of us ever wake up and say, Lord, I pray that today you will be pleased? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask some guys to come up and they can start to distribute this. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. But let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this day. And Lord, how can we make any impact on this world if we can't figure out relationships with one another? Lord, how can we be your people 
if we don't live in the reality that we answer to you. And in Lord, finally, I pray, Lord, that we would live as redeemed, that we would live in communion with you and community with one another, Lord. God, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, the guys are going to give out the communion elements. And we're going to take communion, and then we're going to close with a great song called It Is Well. It's one of the greatest hymns ever written. <laughs>